Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Imagine that uh, you've just been in a difficult situation. Let's say uh, in the jungle. And let's say there were wild animals. And let's say you were in a position where you were afraid that you were in jeopardy. And there was a shelter that you knew about that was about a mile and a half away or so. And you decided that your best option was to run to the shelter as fast as you could. And you did. You ran as fast as you could, and when you finally got to the shelter, you could barely breathe. And you opened the door to the shelter, and you walked in. Now, since we've done all this running, let's think about what we're thinking about once we got into the shelter. Well, we're probably thinking mostly about trying to catch our breath. About the fact that we've reached safety. We are in the moment when the terror that is our existence disappeared and we've reached a safe haven. We've reached a place where the terror doesn't exist. So all of a sudden we have no thought of it. And we're so exhausted that we have no energy to think about anything. We don't think about what we need. We don't think about what we want. We don't think about what we're going to do next. We're there and we're safe. And that is sufficient. How do we go to that place? <laughs> Without having lions and tigers and bears around to chase us. How do we go to that place? And how easy is it or difficult is it to get to that place? We are in a world where for many people terror exists everywhere. Some people can't go outside. I think it's called agoraphobia. Some people have difficulty in crowds of any size. So, let's think it through. What's the point? The terrors that we have are distant from us. And, for the most part, not in our control. 
yet we associate with those terrors anyway. And different people are terrified by different things. As a matter of fact, some of the things that terrify some people are a comfort to other people. And that which is a comfort to some people terrifies other people. Look at the political parties. (laughs) Half are terrified of the other half. And each side is equally terrified. And each side points fingers that say doom and gloom. Doom and gloom. So, how do we escape? How do we go to that place of sanctuary? How does sanctuary become available to us? Now, in the world, we have had in the past people who were in difficult straits because of their involvement with the government. So they went to churches, and inside this church was a sanctuary. You could not be apprehended once you were in the church. It was safe. Well, most of us aren't in a state of being apprehended. And we aren't in a state of fearing that we'll be apprehended. Yet, we are also in a state where we're susceptible to terror. We're susceptible to thoughts that make us afraid. And that's the key word. Thoughts that make us afraid. We make thoughts into our reality. We make thoughts into what we react to. And these thoughts may have nothing to do with anything that is actually going on. So somehow, we have to learn how to detach from the thought of terror. We have to somehow figure out how to detach from the thought of fear. There was once, and this is recently, a friend of mine told me this story, a man who was left $50 million dollars by his parents who died young and uh, he went through it kind of quickly he was down to 10 million dollars and he was afraid that he didn't have enough money and he killed himself now there's no rationality to that but what there is is a thought that brings about fear And unless that thought is dissipated, that fear is real. 
we cannot judge the extent of people's fears. We cannot understand what goes on inside of them. We also can't judge the strength of people's minds over them and how influenced they are by the thoughts that stream through their heads. So, what's the lesson? We have to be very careful with how we pay attention to our thoughts. And we have to internally learn how to run away from our thoughts in the same way we would run away from the animals in the jungle and find sanctuary. And how do you run away from your thoughts? How do you get to the point where the influence of your thoughts is less and less and less? Well, let's think about that for a little bit. Because what it has to do is with is the conception that we have of who we are. If we think we are this body, and if we think the needs of this body, the desires of this body, the outcome of our achieving those needs and desires is critical to our well-being. If we think that, then we're going to have great difficulty detaching from the mind and the thoughts that tell us, if this doesn't happen, you're in trouble. If that doesn't happen, you're in trouble. If this person acts towards you in a certain way, you're being disrespected. You can't abide that kind of thing. Your pride will be injured. Well, as long as we associate with the physical self that acts in the world, we are going to be subject to the terror of what the mind tells us may happen to that physical self. The most evident and obvious of those is death. You can become terrified of death if you believe that this is all there is. And what is that tied into? It's tied into your motives. And what are your motives? Well, you have one motive, you want to stay alive. You have another motive that you want to be famous. You have another motive that you want to be wealthy. You have another motive that you want to be respected. You have another motive that you want to have power. You have another motive that you want to direct things around you. You have another motive that you want to be able to tell people what to do and have them respond. We have all kinds of motives. And these motives are what make up our personality. And as we rid ourselves of self-motive, 
we become closer to the truth of who we are. And when we rid ourselves of self-motive, then the mind which acts on those motives can't affect us. Who knows best about our self-motives than we do? And who whispers into the mind? Satan. And Satan is in tune with the mind, which is in tune with your motives, which is then in tune with terrorizing you and making you afraid. But if these motives are gone, then that which you hold on to, that you are afraid will be taken away from you, can't be done because you've let it go yourself. To die before death is the Sufi way of life. If you die to your motives, you die to the world. If you die to the world, then the world can't blame you and can't praise you. It can't give you and it can't take from you. You have reached a neutral state with the world. It can't do anything to you. Now, when you have motives, you cannot be spontaneous. Why can't you be spontaneous? Because you are reacting constantly to your own motives, your own motivation. So, have you ever noticed that when you speak to certain people, they are so full of their own agendas that whatever they say is agenda-driven? Motive-driven. Driven by what they want. If someone is romancing you, they're going to be really sweet and really kind and generous and very praiseful of you. As soon as they're done romancing, you'll be able to see who they really are because their personality changes. How many people have you met who are always the same? No matter who they meet, no matter what the circumstances they're in, they remain and they stay the same. Why? Because they don't need anything from you. They don't want anything from you. They're not there to take from you. Most of your encounters in the world are take relationships. People are with you because they want something from you. And as soon as they realize that they've already got it or they can't get it, something changes in the relationship. 
These people are not friends. These people are enemies in the making. These people come under the definition of familiarity brings contempt. Once they know you well enough and long enough that they can't go any further with you, they become contemptuous of you. Now, why do they become contemptuous of you? Because they're full of motive. And they haven't been able to separate themselves from motive. So, if you've separated yourself from motive, then contempt is no longer with you. Because contempt means that you need to lord over somebody. That you need to be better than somebody. That there's something lacking in your own being so that you have to be able to push somebody else into a situation to feel good about yourself. But any of these things that you have, anger or jealousy or contempt or hastiness or needs or desires, stop you from being spontaneous. And what does that mean, to be spontaneous? Well, there's probably lots of different definitions that different people can give you, but here's the definition I'm going to give you. To be able to act from the point of reality inside of yourself. To be able to act from your soul. To be able to act from the God self that's within you as opposed to the self that you've established as who you are. The self that is within your mind as that thing you need to protect and you need to take care of and has all of these needs and desires. From that spot that doesn't have needs and desires, that doesn't have motives, that comes from the place that gives, that is attached to reality, that's different than the world, that's different than the place that can be terrorized or can be praised or can be in the midst of accepting praise or denouncing blame. It's that place where Jesus said, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You know, the profundity of the Jesus story is immense. Because here you have this being who is so detached from the world that his only thought is of the difficulty that the ones who are causing him difficulty will put themselves in because they are causing him difficulty. Wow! What a switch that is from the normative thought pattern that we have. What a switch that is from the way the world goes about 
things. Tit for tat. Tit for tat. This for that. No. Love. How about this situation? Love. How about that situation? Love. How about aggression? Love. The response to every situation? Love. Now, the ones who are aggressive look at love as weakness. Because in their aggression, they only understand aggression. If you look to a snake to get love, you're going to get venom. If you look to an aggressive being to get love, all you're going to get is aggression. Because they have nothing else to give. They're so wrapped up in their own view of satisfying their motives that they can't go beyond that. And very often, the way they can satisfy their motives is through aggression. And the best thing for you to do in those situations is be done with them. Love them from a distance. Because if you try to love them close up, you're putting yourself in danger. You can't sleep with a snake. There's a story of uh, a man who uh, was walking through the woods. And a bear was reaching for something underneath of a log. And the log fell and trapped his paw. And the man came and released the paw. And the bear, in his own way, understood what happened and became very grateful to the man and began to follow him. And everywhere he went, the bear would follow him. Uh, to the point where the bear slept next to him because he wouldn't leave. And the man began to think that he was okay. And people warned him. He said, this is a bear. I mean, realize what you're dealing with. And then one day, while the man was sleeping, a fly landed on the man's head. And the bear picked up a rock and hit the man on the head to kill the fly. And that was the end of that relationship. You have to know who you're dealing with, the extent of their understanding of things, and the extent of their knowledge. What this means is you're going to have less and less friends. You're going to have less and less close relationships. If you're fortunate enough to have one or two close relationships, it's a lot. If you're fortunate enough to be married to someone that you have a close relationship, that's often enough. If you're fortunate enough to know somebody who has the dignity that doesn't allow themselves 
to, to, to swerve off the path of the truth. It's a rare thing. Most people swerve and they don't know they're swerving. They think they're protecting something. They think that they're doing it for your good or for their good or for somebody's good. They don't understand the truth. We have to become the ones who understand the truth. We have to become the ones who act in the truth. And we can't expect that others will do the same. Because expectation is a motive. And when that motive isn't fulfilled, you're going to have a reaction to the non-fulfillment of that motive. And it may be aggressive. There's a famous cartoon about the Lone Ranger. You all know the Lone Ranger? He used to ride into towns and save the situation and then ride off. And nobody got a chance to thank him. And they would say, we never got a chance to thank him. He was off. And once he rode into a town, and it was late at night, and he couldn't leave. So the next morning, before he was able to leave, the people gathered and gave him a cake. And then he stayed with them for a little while, and then he left. And then the next town he went into, he saved the day and took off. And he says to Tonto, these ungrateful wretches, they didn't give me a cake. <laughs> Everything changed because of one cake. Well, they can't change for us. If you're looking for a reward for your good deed, your good deed disappears. So, we need to get to that place where we're beyond motives and we're touching reality so that we are spontaneous, so that we come from that place of reality. And when that happens, we're different. And we know we're different. We know something changed. May that change come over each of us. May that place that is connected to eternity and to the truth become the place that we are connected to. Amin. Amin. Ya Rabbi Lama alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.